This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. We're continuing our series looking at how courts, tribal courts in particular, are building capacity and strengthening programs to take on or improve their role in child welfare. That's deciding questions surrounding child abuse and neglect, uh, how temporary care should be provided, and permanent custody of tribal children who have been placed in out-of-home care. Hi everyone, Tom Oates here, and welcome to the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. This series on tribal courts and child welfare features work performed by grantees of the Children's Bureau's Tribal Court Improvement Program. Now, our series will be looking at some diverse issues and challenges, and how some tribal courts and tribal child welfare have addressed them. Check out the first in this series to hear how some courts built their capacity and adapted to take on child welfare cases. Now, in this episode, we dive into the daunting task of reviewing and updating a tribal court's children's code, sometimes called the juvenile code. Now, these codes deal with more than just child welfare, and they direct the actions and proceedings of various service providers, from law enforcement to child welfare. If the codes aren't clear, if they're not relevant to current challenges or the environment where the court has jurisdiction, well, the work that courts are charged to perform can get sidetracked, which negatively impacts not only the children and the families involved, but the service providers who are working to help them. Some of the Tribal Court Improvement Program grantees determined one of the best ways to utilize the grant was to dedicate the time, the energy, and resources to revising and updating their children's code. So we'll start off with the Taos Pueblo Tribe of New Mexico. As they reviewed their children's code and determined what they wanted a future code in court proceedings to include, they did something unique in that they applied feedback from those directly affected by the court. You'll hear who they worked with and how feedback taken from surveys given to families and family service providers influenced the code's development. Judge T. David Eisenberg of the Tribes Family Court joined us to discuss all of this, and we started by asking him just to walk us through his first impression of the tribe's previous children's code and how that led him to revise and update it. Uh, certainly, uh, I came on the bench in July of 2014, and uh, in the process of getting on the bench, I had to familiarize myself with all the existing codes that we had. And I got around to the uh, children's code, uh, juvenile offender codes. And uh, even upon the first reading, I just found that it was uh, uh, confusing and uh, not very uh, user-friendly. Uh, so that was my initial impression. And as, as I started to uh, hear uh, children's court cases as well as juvenile offender cases, uh, it was really hard to find any kind of, of uh, a scheme uh, that I could separate from children's code uh, as opposed to uh, juvenile offender code. It was all, both uh, sections were integrated. So the, uh, the processor's children's code would uh, all of a sudden be talking about juvenile offender proceedings. 
and vice versa. So it was it was it was very hard to figure out uh, where the children's code proceedings went and where they left off and where they were going because they would eventually dovetail into the offender code uh, and in the same way with the uh, from offender code to children's uh, children's code matters. So that was, and, and at some point in time, uh, within that first year, uh, uh, the police department asked me to, to because they were equally as confused, and they'd been working with the offender code portions of the uh, of the children's uh, of the of the code from for many years, for the five or six years that it was in, in effect, and were having difficulties. Uh, finding a clear process on how the filings of uh, offender proceedings were, uh, uh, how, to, how to file them and how the proceedings went. So I volunteered to, uh, to outline the, uh, the children's code as well as the offender's code and uh, talk about an exercise in futility. I just reached a point where I could not, it just wasn't working. There was just no way to outline it all without uh, having arrows uh, going in and out and cross-referencing. So that was just kind of like, this is not, this is, I'm confused. And, and the last place, uh, uh, the, the first place that the, the, the people that uh, that have to work with the children's code and the offender code go to, to make sense of it is the judge. And when the judge can't make sense of it, you know, it's, 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 um, uh, it's, 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 it's really difficult. Uh, so the other uh, uh, item that I saw in the Children's code that I found uh, uh, problematic was the uh, a uh, um, a mixing of standards of proof. For example, in our termination of parental rights proceedings under the children's code, uh, the standard of proof in these terminations proceedings was clear and convincing evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. So they mixed the two standards of proof together. And I said, well, that's certainly not going to work for me. I don't know if I have to, if I have to preside, uh, preside over a, a, a termination for a rights case, what, what standard of proof am I supposed to be using? Because it's combining both standards of proof. So that was just, uh, uh, that's how the whole idea came to, to bear with regard to we need to to uh, revise our children's and offender codes. So it sounds like at, at first, when you when you tried to create the outline, um, you may have found yourself saying, "All right, where do I begin?" And at least that's the question that comes to to my mind is instead of trying to revise or edit, it sounds like you had to start from scratch. Am I am I right? Well, I was using the existing code and then following the you know the outline process is is here's the beginning. And here's the next step. So I could do a petitions filed and then what's the next thing that happens and then uh, how, how are investigations uh, handled and who handles the investigations. Uh, so it, it, it started off all right. It's when you got into the mid the midsections of the proceedings that uh, all of a sudden offender, uh, offender proceedings were, were, uh, were, uh, were, were also integrated in the middle of children's court, children's uh, uh, court uh, cases. So it was very hard to come up with a very uh, clear step-by-step -step outline that followed logical steps. 
So at that point, were there any, I mean, I'm trying to figure out where do you go for reference? Where do you go to kind of build this along the way, knowing that not only do you have to understand this, but this is going to be used as a tool to then communicate to to others that that you will come in contact with, like law enforcement, to kind of direct the operations. So where do you start from when you say, okay, well, what do I want this to look like when it's all said and done? So uh, realizing that we, we have these issues, uh, uh, the New Mexico uh, Legal Aid, uh, Native American uh, programs, uh, uh, um, division uh, and I had the, the director uh, Lisa Chavis and I had a discussion about it and uh, and and saw that there was the uh, the grant opportunity uh, through the uh, administration of children youth and families and I said well you know what that, that this would be a good place to uh, see we can get grant funding so we can uh, uh, revise the children's code as well as the juvenile offender code so that was kind of well let's let, let's 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 go that route. It's because we uh, we had to go that route because the current code was unworkable. So that was uh, so it was so I came on 2014 was going to legal aid on the grant uh, in April of uh, 2015. So it was it happened fairly quickly, and I felt that it had to happen quickly because uh, I just. We just couldn't do. Uh, we just we just couldn't go about doing business as usual with an unworkable code. So when you find yourself going through this process, and you know, and, and as you mentioned, you know, you had jumped on the bench just a few months, really, prior to that. What did you find about not only the the process itself that that the court was going through, but what did you find out about maybe the results or the interaction or the way child welfare cases were handled by the court, knowing that you had uh, some codes that left a lot of ambiguity? So what happened, uh, and this is is, is, uh, counter to how I feel a judge should handle cases when they have a code, follow the code. I just, I, I, I improvised. I improvised uh, 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 certain portions of the code to fit the best fit the, the proceedings, but not necessarily following the black letter uh, code, because if I did, then we would end up in, in deep confusion. I just kind of had to wing it, in other words, until we got the uh, new code uh, up and going. Yeah, and again, not the way that a judge should be doing things, but uh, if you have unworkable codes, you have to uh, improvise and I think make do with uh, what you have until you can fix it. So when you walk into these situations, you know, being only on the bench for the first, you know, number of months and you are trying to improvise because the code really isn't, may not be the the strongest guide for you. What did you find about the environment that you had walked into in terms of cases coming to you, cases being adjudicated regarding child welfare that you said, all right, now knowing how we currently do things at the time, here's what you may want to include within the code to help either um, make the processes more efficient, make them more transparent, provide better outcomes. Did those first few months give you anything that you used for fodder? When then you were developing the code? Uh, yeah, I mean, it gave me a, a, a better sense of, of, of how I wanted the code to be. 
So anytime we had uh, uh, hearings or proceedings with the, the with the old children's code, I would try to figure out this. Okay, this is where we need to go, but the code's not the code's not very clear about how to get there. And I would tell the parties, we have this code, and here here's where we're at within the code, but the code directs us and. Uh, uh, in, 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 into an area that uh, will uh, not get us to the result that we want. So here's what I've been doing. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to follow the code necessarily, but this is what I think works best with regard to this, this specific proceeding. So I would, I would let the parties know because I, you know, again, it's, it's part of the, the due process that they uh, know uh, what I'm following, what code, what law I'm following, and if there's a deviation from it, uh, they they have a right to know. So what were the key steps that you and the American Indian Law Center, uh, Ms. Chavez, kind of went through to kind of go from, from, from no code or a code you really need to work on to where you are today? Well, we, we, uh, we, we had meetings uh, very because of the when we decided to do the grant, it was, you know, where there were time constraints because there was a due date in April. So I think it was February, March that we started to uh, look in earnest at the code and had several meetings with uh, Elisa about uh, our current code and, and, and finding the, the, the problem areas, which there were many, and, 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 and uh, deciding that, well, these will be the focus, the, uh, the focus areas of what, about how we the deficiencies within the code and how we want to correct them and how do we go about doing that. So that's where the discussion came in about, well, this is a community code. Uh, this is House Pueblo's code. So, and the family services providers for House Pueblo rely on the code as well as the community. So how do we, uh, how do we, uh, we, it's important because it is a community code to get feedback from them. So that's where the idea to do a, a family service survey provider, uh, family service provider surveys uh, came into being, as well as family surveys. Uh, the, the families that were actually, uh, we intended to, to uh, uh, serve with our, with our new code. And then, uh, so that was outlined uh, in, the, in the grant. Uh, as well as, well, once we have the survey, what do we do with the, the results? And so there was a discussion and inclusion in the uh, grant about uh, evaluating and doing analysis of, of what the survey results were, and then having a, uh, a, a meeting uh, at, the, at the Pueblo, uh, a, focus, uh, a focus group meeting with all the uh, family service providers to, because, because they had, the, they were all a part of uh, responded to the survey to have a meeting with them over a uh, two-day period, uh, morning, morning and afternoon uh, session over two days where we went through the, uh, the results. We had uh, very long discussions about the survey results and, and, and basically charting where we wanted and how we wanted to use the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the analysis as well as the, the recommendations that were coming out of the focus group discussion in terms of what we wanted in the code and how we wanted the, the code to be organized. Did you find that that survey provided you with a lot of the 
kind of the answers to when you'd come to a question of, hey, should we go in this direction or should we go in this direction, that you're able to kind of have, well, what's the community's voice? How important was that? It's, it's very important. I mean, this is not my code. This is not David Eisenberg's code. It's not Stacey Waters' code. This is the uh, this is the uh, this is the public community's code. So it's very important that we we uh, integrate and uh, uh, use the, the feedback as much as possible, not only from the service provider angle, but also from the family side of it. One of the things that I uh, uh, realized uh, uh, in doing this, uh, 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 initiating this project and, and doing the grant and, and going through the process of surveys and the focus group was, uh, I wasn't getting a whole lot of children's court uh, case filings. And I said, I know that there, there, I know that there are cases out there. Why are we not seeing them uh, in, in tribal court? So the surveys answered uh, uh, the surveys. Uh, borne out my my uh, my, uh, my my concerns because what we survey showed was there was a lot of contact between families and the service providers, uh, but there was uh, no follow-up from the family service provider agencies with regard to cases. They handled them in-house. They handled the cases uh, within their uh, respective divisions without a whole lot of, uh, of, of, uh, of uh, collaboration between agencies and divisions. So police department would have a case and they would handle it without filing anything. Social services would have a case uh, and, 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 and handle it without seeing that there was a need to file it in, in, in children's, uh, as a children's court matter. Uh, and the same with the juvenile offender cases. They just, they, they, there was contact, but no follow-up filings in tribal court. So what are the and because and, and and that was because I think people just found it easier to just go ahead and do it their way because the code was so hard to deal with. It says, look, that code is unworkable because we, we, we it just doesn't make sense to us. It's easier for us to do it from our from our uh, from uh, from within our offices and divisions uh, rather than deal with that stupid code, which doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make sense to us. It's easier for us to do it from our from our. Uh, from, from within our offices and divisions uh, rather than deal with that stupid code, which doesn't make any sense. So was this more of an issue of process and procedure as opposed to, listen, I don't want to report this. I'm worried about escalating this. That's one of the things, well, that's one of the, the, the findings that was borne out, uh, uh, Tom, was uh, 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 through the surveys as well as the, uh, we'll probably get into this in a little more detail later on, but uh, when the American Indian Law Center did its uh, community meeting uh, uh, before they started really working in earnest on the drafts, uh, what they, what the surveys found out and what the community meeting, the American Indian Law Center found out was people were reluctant to, uh, to file, make file, uh, to make, to, 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 to uh, file cases because they didn't want to get involved in the court system. They didn't want to come to tribal court for, they didn't want to get involved. They didn't want to get involved with other families' issues, even though they felt that there was a need uh, to let social services and police department know. There was a reluctance, a huge reluctance on, on, on community members to get involved. 
because again, they just uh, didn't want to have to come to court and provide affidavits or testimony against uh, uh, family members, uh, other community members. So, so that borne out the need to. So, said we. So we we did, we discussed that at length, and then one of the key key components of the revised children's code and offender code is we have a, we develop a pre adjudicative process uh, and procedures whereby uh, upon uh, the filings and reporting of children's uh, children's cases uh, uh, families uh, the, the, there's an investigative process that happens within social services they make a determination whether that's a, ch a child in need of care and if it is a child in need of care then a family service plan is developed uh, and with certain thresholds and, uh, and, and deadlines that the family has to meet to avoid coming to court. So they meet all their thresholds within the deadlines and, uh, and they get the services that they need. Uh, they never get to see me. <laughs> However, on the other hand, if they don't meet the deadlines and thresholds, uh, the, the thresholds within the deadlines, then social services has the option of then filing a petition. Now, the judge started to describe the pre-adjudicative process that Taos Pueblo instituted, which increased the number of cases brought to the tribal court. Now, in an upcoming episode, we will dive into that with greater detail as an example of how tribal courts are taking a family-centered approach. We'll hear from tribal court improvement program grantees that work in conjunction with service providers to strengthen and heal families not just pass down decisions. But that is for another episode. We're going to continue here and move up to Alaska, where the Sitka tribe also found their children's code caused a bit of confusion. David Volek, the chief judge of Sitka's tribal court, found himself leading the charge to review, edit, and update the code. Now, just like the experiences from Judge Eisenberg with Taos Pueblo, making simple tweaks and refining the code proved to be a bit more difficult than it sounds. For Judge Volek, as you'll hear, he looked at the work of refining more like overall restoration and repair. Well, you know, I, we looked at it and it was uh, drafted in 1977. So uh, our children's code is just enjoying its 41st birthday. And uh, as you might imagine, things change over time. And then I had the uh, benefit of being both a tribal judge. So I looked at the children's code from the bench and also assisting our social services department to bring cases in tribal court. So I also got to look at it from, uh, from you know, presenting to the court and also from the bench. And there were parts of the code that were clunky. Uh, people weren't sure what the interpretation was. People weren't sure about timelines, who was responsible for service uh, upon parties, and any number of things that ended up clunking. Uh, I use the metaphor of a car a lot when it comes to a children's code. And so our car needed a tune-up, and it was obvious to those of us who work on both sides of the bench um, that there were these parts that were leading to miscommunication uh, between the court and the judiciary and our social services workers. And so it was time for a tune-up. And so we put that uh, project into our tribal court improvement project. And when it was funded, it was a great um, 
motivator to get started to bring this 1977 jalopy uh, into the new millennia. So I'm going to follow this analogy for a little while here and ask you about the mechanics that you helped bring in. Once you partnered with, you know, I'm assuming that you didn't just sit down, that David didn't just sit down in a corner and revise everything. So who were the folks that you partnered with and, and what did you tell them you wanted to, to get out of a revised children's code? Well, we kind of created a work group and that included all the kind of interested parties that practice in tribal court. And because uh, we wanted those partners at the table to inform us. So it was not only what David saw wasn't working, but what did other people see could use improvement. Um, so for sure, the judiciary and the court was an essential party to have there. I don't know if other tribes have this, but I, I've noticed in my 23 years here with the Sitka tribe of Alaska, that there's always been a strange disconnect between the court and our social services department. So we really viewed this as an opportunity to start ironing out those wrinkles from one set of leadership uh, to another. The disconnect between the court and the social services kept propagating itself. So we really viewed this revision process as a way to iron out our wrinkles. So we had the, the court there and the chief judge. We had the director of social services and those who practiced in tribal court from social services. And then we invited an outside expert from uh, our Legal Services Corporation. It's called Alaska Legal Services Corporation. And we have a fantastic attorney here um, based out of Juneau who has a lot of experience with tribal courts. And we invited her in and she had her own grant uh, that allowed her to bring legal services to, to rural areas and to native tribes. And so she participated as a guest mechanic as well while we went through this process. Did you find that you used any current existing um, codes, maybe from either other tribes or, 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 or other regions? Was there anything that you turned around and said, you know what, we like what they're doing over here? Yeah, I think if I had the chance to do things over again, I would have started there. And, you know, those of us who work in Indian country, we have to guard against uh, something that we could call templatism, where templates get circulated among tribes and it's plug and play and you just fill in the name of your tribe at the top and adopt uh, this template code or a code from another tribe. And that's a big mistake because every tribal community is very unique. And so the template's a great place to start. So you're not reinventing the wheel. Sorry for the car metaphor again. But, um, and, and we didn't do that as carefully. You want to try to find tribes that are similar, ideally culturally to you, or at least in size or demographically, so that you're starting with somebody who's like a kissing cousin, uh, a kissing cousin kind of tribe. And then we did eventually look at a number of these codes. I, like I said earlier, I think if I could have done things differently, I would have started there. And so why I say that is we kind of ran into a problem of spending about a year under the hood 
of our 1977 Children's Code, fixing this valve and adjusting that fluid. And after a year, we were left with the inescapable feeling that we were fixing a broken down car. And what were we duct taping this this old jalopy together for when really kind of we were ready for a new car. And so that's when I went out shopping at these other tribes to look at what they were doing. And it's been a breath of fresh air to let go of our old code and be open to the idea of just starting over fresh. And so we kind of labored for about a year trying to fix up our 1977 car before we finally came to the realization, you know, we can start over. Let's look at some other models. And so we did. We've borrowed from about five or six other tribes uh, things we thought were the best part of their code. And, uh, and the nice thing about tribal governments is it's not like you're violating any kind of intellectual property rights. Every tribe says in Yiddish, Gesundheit, hate, go in health. We want you to be successful. And so we all share our models freely. And then, of course, you have to remember to adjust it to your community so that when you're done, this car is something that your community is comfortable riding in and you're not importing something from another state or another village. But now to, to follow, so you've got this roadmap in front of you uh, as you're getting your wheels moving and, and, and kind of moving on your own judicial highway. Um, what are the challenges that you see ahead? Um, you know, I think the largest challenge uh, that any uh, tribal government wrestles with is taking uh, a traditionally oral culture and oral laws that have been handed down since time immemorial and then trying to trap them in a written language. And not only is that hard, but it's a language not necessarily that is traditional. You know, um, for, for good or for ill, the United States transacts mostly in English. So that's a foreign language um, to Indian tribal governments. So taking an oral tradition and trying to put it in writing and trying to translate it into a, a foreign language is a yeoman's task. It's huge. Um, and every tribe wrestles with this. I know wherever I go, we're all struggling. How, how much do we try to capture in writing? What's uncapturable in writing? Um, and then the last piece that I will talk about is we talked about templatism uh, that can sometimes afflict Indian country. And I can say this because I'm a recovering attorney. There's also lawyerism that can um, afflict Indian country. And so a lot of the codes that we've looked at are um, too verbose and take, you know, uh, with all kinds of words of lawyer art, and they, they make the code impenetrable to the lay person. Or in Latin, we call it pro se litigants. These are people who are not using attorneys. And our tribal court is 
everyday people trying to come and use a more user-friendly justice system to solve their problems. And so when you hand them a code that I call it a 10 gallon, that uses 10 gallon words, um, it makes it hard to access. And this leads to the monopoly of attorneys over the law, which we're really trying to break down that wall here in Sitka. So simplifying, um, and I'm not sure we can say this, but I had a gym teacher who used to ascribe to the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, uh, if you can't say it succinctly and simply and shortly, then try again. And I think a lot of codes suffer from being way too long. They're two inches thick, and they explain, you know, for instance, a definition of 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 mistreatment or child maltreatment, and they'll give you 25 examples. And at the end of the day, we're all left with eyes hazed over because we just got lost in a definition. And so we're really struggling to make a code that's user-friendly. If a third grader can't understand what you're saying, then you're probably not saying it well. So, and I think that's a big struggle that we have throughout Indian country to make our laws accessible, to try to capture the customs and the traditions of the tribe in writing when they've been oral for millennia, and to keep it simple. The big lesson when revising or drafting these codes, or really any processes and procedures, and this really isn't just a lesson for courts, is to remember you're writing instructions that will apply to different groups of people, each with their own perspective. So there's a balance between making the code, or really any instructions, clear enough for everyone to understand, but also not too detailed that a reader gets lost in the weeds. Now, as this series featuring the work of Tribal Court Improvement Program grantees continues, we will hear more from both the Taos, Pueblo, and Sitka tribes. We've got upcoming episodes focusing on building productive relationships with both state child welfare and state courts, along with how tribal courts are working closely with their tribe's social services department. So head over to the podcast webpage, that's acf.hhs.gov cb, and search podcasts. On this episode's page, we'll point you to other resources and materials for courts, along with information for working directly with tribes and tribal families, along with ICWA-related content as well. So as always, you can check out updated information available over on Child Welfare Information Gateway at www.childwelfare.gov. You can also reach out directly to our team at info at childwelfare.gov if there's something specific you're, you're looking for or you wish to order any of our publications and available materials, we'll help you out. Uh, all those materials are free of charge, and we ship them to you for free as well. So my thanks to Judge T. David Eisenberg from the Taos Pueblo Court and Judge David Volok from the Sitka Tribe of Alaska's Court for their time and their insight to share their experiences with us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates. Thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov. 
and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. Views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.